the children of tim bobbin by ernest axon from bygone lancashire edited by ernest axon this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the proverb like father like son is not very far from the truth when applied to the collier family the father john collier alias tim bobbin though certainly a clever man was eccentric almost to madness and his habits of life were what we should now regard as disreputable in one to whom was committed the charge of a school he was a drunkard and seemed to glory in the fact his sons were all of them characters and had intellectual abilities much above the average yet they all died poor and one of them was insane the wife of tim bobbin seems to have been a motherly person of fairly good education john collier junior the eldest son of tim bobbin was born at milnrow in february seventeen forty four to five and was trained by his father until his twelfth year when he was placed as an apprentice with mr bowcock herald painter of chester he early displayed ability in his profession thanks probably to his father having taught him the elements of painting and at fourteen was sent by his master to rochdale to paint the royal arms in the parish church after his time was served he returned to his father at milnrow then he went to york for a short time and in seventeen sixty six settled at newcastle upon tyne as a coach painter and heraldic artist he speedily made a good business in newcastle and only a month or two after settling there he wrote in jubilant tones about his work quote, my business has kept as brisk as my last left me without housework which i have neither time nor inclination to undertake my work pleases the price sometimes a little muttered at no wonder as tis generally near one-third more than any painter as here beside myself the result of john collier's first year's work was a profit of almost sixty pound but he says quote, i have no great inclination for settling in a place though i know rambling will be no better for me End quote. john collier was joined at newcastle by his brother thomas but the brothers soon disagreed john complained to his father that thomas was lazy conceited and failed in his duty as a servant in august seventeen sixty seven tom left and his place was taken by his brother charles the change made little difference in the tone of john's letters to their father and the complaints were renewed though the name was altered it seems probable that the person most at fault was john collier whose gloomy irritable spirit made him somewhat difficult to work with after tom left john there was some talk of his taking service with a rival coachmaker in the town the father thought this a very desirable arrangement for his sons could be near each other and the elder assist the younger john was opposed to it do you think he writes to his father it would have tallied with my interests or temper to have assisted those whose power and delight would have been to see me reduced to the servile condition of being their slave would you correct the work of a finshaw stuart or like me for doing it i think not nor should you wish to see the rankest enemies of one of your sons assisted by the other if i have put it in his power to help my enemies to stab me gratitude might forbid it the world is wide enough 
in the name of god let him fill some corner on it where i am not john collier had no longer any desire for rambling he was in love as his father wrote the lad's smitten with no beauty and with no great fortune i believe it will be four hundred pound on january twenty second seventeen sixty eight john collier was married to betty rankin the youngest and favourite daughter of mr robert rankin a well-to-do tradesman in newcastle the accession of fortune he had with his wife enabled john to extend his business he built a house and workshops and added coach-building to his previous occupations he did a little painting of old masters of this branch of art he was not very proud and wrote to his father who had indiscreetly mentioned it quote, i am not pleased at your acquainting any person with my painting the old head i thought i had given you a caution when i painted that for mills's on canvas not even to tell tom the secret as he by not being able to do it as it ought to be would only discover the imposition without any benefit to himself tis true i did paint it nor do i think it a crime to impose on those who are fond of giving high prices for the indifferent works of persons dead which very seldom have anything to recommend them but their age and dirtiness john collier's building operations brought him into contact with a mr drummond about some land in which the corporation was also interested it appears that collier's house encroached on mr drummond's land this led to a lawsuit and the part projecting was forcibly taken down the litigation in this and kindred matters embittered the remainder of the same period of john collier's life and perhaps hastened his insanity john collier was often severe in his criticisms and unkind in his remarks even his father for whom he had a genuine admiration did not escape criticising some of his father's work in seventeen sixty nine the younger john said you certainly might etch your heads yourself better than that plate you sent and to tell you plainly the drawing is so very bad and the composition i can scarcely make either sense or satire of it whatever is designed by it it is true that posterity has justified the young man's criticism john collier carried on a pamphleteering campaign against the corporation of newcastle in seventeen seventy five he published anonymously the corporation a fragment in which in hudibrastic verse he satirized the civic body in seventeen seventy seven appeared an essay on charters in which i particularly considered those of newcastle an essay which combined considerable research and antiquarian knowledge with keen satire about this time he lost his first wife an event that somewhat unsettled him and not long afterwards he fell in love with a girl many years his junior named betty howard whom he married at the collegiate church manchester sixteenth december seventeen seventy seven his wife assumed for the ceremony a false name forster footnote information of mr john owen and footnote there is consequently some doubt as to the legality of the marriage shortly afterwards his already marked eccentricity rapidly developed into violent insanity he complained that his young wife put steel filings in his shirt and stockings which made him that he could not rest and to prevent the repetition of such conduct he beat her so severely with a poker that he bent it across her back 
in 1778 appeared an alphabet for the grown-up grammarians of Great Britain by John Collier, a supposed lunatic. Whether this curious pamphlet appeared before or during his incarceration is uncertain. He had some idea of a phonetic alphabet, and advocated the substitution of the letter K for the Q, which, he says, is the devil of a letter in our alphabet because it is none at all. He sums up, fourteen vowels, six mongrels, five consonants, and one devil knows what, form our present alphabet, consisting of twenty-six marks. Early in 1778, Collier tried to shoot a servant of Mr. Thomas Slack, the printer of one of his earlier works, whose life he also threatened. Mr. Slack had the matter inquired into by the magistrates, and John Collier was confined in the lunatic hospital where his brother Thomas found him, quote, chained to his bed with proper apparatus for one in his deplorable situation. End quote. The magistrates would not release him until they had a bond for his good behaviour whilst remaining in Newcastle, and there seems to have been some unwillingness on the part of both the Colliers and the Rankins to undertake the responsibility. Thomas Collier wished John to go to Penrith with him, but the unfortunate man vowed he would stay in Newcastle and prosecute those he imagined to have used him ill. Quote, and if justice is not to be had, to blow their brains out. End quote. He had his lucid intervals, but broke out again without any warning. When writing a letter, he would often stop and say, Now, some thick-headed attorney has set his head on my shoulders, but had I a pistol, I would soon do for him. In January 1779, John Collier was released and placed in the charge of his brother Thomas at Penrith, who found him both troublesome and expensive. In the lunatic's first week at Penrith, he ran his brother into debt to the amount of ten or fifteen shillings, quote, by ordering things for an electrical machine, printing, etc., end quote. There is in existence a long letter of John Collier's, dated January 9th, 1780, full of mad wanderings and incoherent sentences. He curses his father and brothers for believing in his insanity, complains of his treatment by his brother, states his theory about the transference of thought from one person to another by means of electricity, and is in trouble about his property. Writing to his father, he asks, why do you support his, Mr. Howard, making off with my money, or think a fool of that stamp or my brother's, or you either, can settle accounts of my own work, in which I have never yet failed better than myself? After a few years, Collier had recovered sufficiently to be allowed at large, and he spent the remainder of his life at Milnrow. In the early days of his partial recovery, he did some painting, one of his works was a portrait of himself in a sort of iron mask or grating, which he used to wear occasionally, and which he had made for himself out of hoop iron. He also painted a sign for the ship inn at Vickers Moss, Rochdale. This sign was, it is said, not badly executed, but the artist had painted the sails full set, and the ship sailing stern first, while some sailors in a boat were rowing with their faces to the prow. Jacky, as he was called by the villagers at Milnrow, was of middle stature, had a strongly marked and venerable-looking countenance. His dress was uncouth, 
and he had a habit of wearing his clothes wrong side out and towards the end of his life he dressed in sackcloth with this peculiarity of dress clogs with extremely thick soles and carrying a staff almost as long as himself and two inches thick he was a very striking figure in milnrow his liking for having every article of clothing inside out did not at first extend to his clogs which he was unable to reverse at last after much study he hit on a plan and by taking the nails out turning the leather and nailing it on again at the lower edge of the sole he accomplished his object john collier owned a few cottages in milnrow and on one occasion thinking his tenants had affronted him he decided to evict them wishing to know the correct way of doing this he sent his brother charles to consult a lawyer and charles being inquisitive asked all the various proceedings of a contested suit at law when charles got home he told jackie all he had heard john decided to take a shorter method he got up early the next morning before any of his tenants were stirring fastened their doors and windows from the outside and stuffed up their chimneys with hay and straw when the tenants lit their fires the smoke could find no outlet and the inhabitants became almost suffocated collier released them only on condition that they consented to take their goods away and give up possession at once thus john collier's later years were spent he had survived his second wife and was living with his nephew james clegg at whose house in milnrow he died in eighteen o nine he left two daughters and a son edmund collier a harmless labouring man who was for many years a farmer's servant and used to retail milk in the streets of rochdale thomas collier the next son of tim bobbin was not nearly so unfortunate as his elder brother but his life was not without its vicissitudes he was born at milnrow in seventeen forty six and after he had served his time with a painter at leeds entered the service of his brother at newcastle at a salary of half a crown a week and board he and john could not agree thomas wanted his wages raised and john declined to raise them whilst john wanted to be autocratic and thomas would not obey him the result was that the brothers separated thomas went to london in august seventeen sixty seven he found that it was impossible for him to get sufficient to live upon and he would have been in great straits had he not found good friends there who allowed him the use of their house and nursed him through a long illness less than a year sufficed to tire him of london and he returned to newcastle to his brother's employment but the wrangling commenced again and in february seventeen sixty nine john turned him out of the house and vowed that he should never enter his door again quote, except he reforms in a manner that i am very certain tis not in his nature to do end quote. tom was high-spirited and extravagant he ran into debt and made a show of wealth by giving tips twice as large as his elder brother did in seventeen seventy john wrote to his father that tom was a source of continued uneasiness to him quote, not only on account of doing good to himself but on account of the ridiculous actions which mark his low-lifed grovelling spirit when newcastle steeple was being repaired tom very foolhardily ventured to the top of an outside spire while on it he was seized with a tremor and had to be ignominiously carried down by a steeplejack when he got to the bottom 
a sturdy bell-ringer rope-ended him very severely on another occasion he went with a party of journeymen into the sand-gate shouting wilkes and liberty amongst the keelmen and colliers john collier relates that the journeymen got pelted severely tom in particular was trailed and tumbled by the women in the channel till his clothes were all of a colour with dirt and nastiness and so very severely bruised and battered that he would in all probability have died under their discipline had he not with the assistance of a few of the men more merciful than the rest got shoved into a boat and got over the river quote, got pelted severely and got over the river end quote. it was soon noised abroad that quote, mr collier was almost killed end quote, and the staid and respectable john collier was annoyed by messages and inquiries being sent to him to ask how he did and congratulations on his speedy recovery from his bruises judge to yourself writes the injured elder brother when an unfortunate ridiculous action is saddled on a wrong person if he were not of the same name i should be content and laugh along with the rest at his folly but as it is it galls me to the quick even to excuse myself and say i suppose it was my brother thomas collier eventually commenced business at penrith and was for some years comparatively successful with fraternal piety he took charge of his brother during his violent madness he was interested in politics and not being on the right side the magistrates of the town took every opportunity of harassing him during the revolution he wrote and printed a volume of indifferent verse poetical politics but before it was published information was given to the magistrates and mr collier was apprehended he was confined for several days and only liberated on condition that the whole of the printed copies should be destroyed consequently they were all burnt with the exception of one copy which mr collier contrived to secrete poetical politics was not tom's only attempt at verse he wrote the well-known epitaph on tim bobbin's grave which has erroneously been said to have been written by tim himself shortly before his death he was the author of a fulsome eulogium on tim bobbin by way of epitaph which contains the lines thy name o tim thy works have spread and thou like homer shall be read as long as time remains he also wrote a poem on hanging entitled law law he pretended to understand astrology and used to describe himself as a conjurer and professor of mighty magic tom collier's business having been ruined in penrith he removed to rochdale where the latter years of his life were spent he died in eighteen twenty five leaving an illegitimate son robert collier who succeeded to his father's business as a painter and was also an auctioneer but became reduced in circumstances and health about eighteen twenty nine and removed to liverpool the youngest brother of this unfortunate family was charles collier born in seventeen forty nine he was like his brothers apprenticed to a painter and followed tom as assistant to john collier the brothers did not agree and charles left newcastle settled at kendal and prospered in business he married a widow with a hundred pound a year and resided at kirby hall for some time before he was thirty he was in a position to be able to buy tim bobbin's cottage which he presented to his father and mother for their lives 
Mrs. Charles Collier died in 1782, and her income died with her. Charles, therefore, left Kendall, and removed to Milnrow, where he painted and carried on business as a flannel dealer. Amongst other commissions, he received orders for the portraits of the Reverend Mr. Shaw, his wife and two children, and of Jeremiah Ainsworth, the mathematician. The combination of portrait painter and flannel dealer was not a success, perhaps because Charles Collier was fonder of field sports than of business. He kept a hunter, and lived in an extravagant style, and after his father's death was forced to give up business, and thenceforward he made a scanty living as an itinerant portrait painter. Of the rambling life he led, we may get some idea from a three-months tour in 1802. He visited Oxford, London, Hartford, Cambridge, Ely, Bury St. Edmunds, where he, quote, got a little cash in pocket with painting portraits, size of palm of my hand, in oil, end quote. Norwich, Yarmouth, Lowestoft, Ipswich, Harwich, Rochester, Chatham, Dover, Brighton, Portsmouth, Gosport, Salisbury, Exeter, Plymouth, Penryn, and Falmouth. His travelling and privations aged him rapidly, and when fifty-three he wrote that he looked, quote, full threescore years old. Charles was extremely fond of seeing soldiers, and on one occasion walked from Rochdale to Dover, that he might witness a review there. When the great review was held on Kersall Moor in 1812, he was one of the first on the ground, having gone there on the previous evening, and slept in the open air. Charles Collier, broken in health and in great poverty, lived at Milnrow during his last years, and died there in 1812, in the house of his nephew, Mr. James Clegg. End of the Children of Tim Bobbin